0: take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6. Uh, We've been in a series uh, which is called the Pillars of the Church, looking at matters that are foundational for biblical churches, Uh, namely we have talked about the preaching of the Word of God, the practice of baptism, and the practice of the Lord's Supper, and then this week we'll look at the officers who administer these different aspects of the church, the Word of God preached, the the, uh, ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and then next week we're going to actually look at um, church discipline and how that fits into all of this, and perhaps you are um, unfamiliar with that, and so... I want to um, mention that, and uh, that way you know that's what's coming. And uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding around that topic, but we'll address that next week. And so, uh, as I said earlier, Acts chapter 6 And uh, looking uh, first, just a kind of a reading here this morning, if you're able to, would you please stand with me as I read aloud as you follow along. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that we'll really kind of zoom in on verses 1 through 4, and then another passage in Acts for the remainder of our time. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Uh, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of Holy, a Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramenus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That is the word of God. You may be seated. It may be a blessing to you as you've heard it read both in the Old and New Testament reading this morning. Would you join me once again in prayer? Lord, we pray this morning as we open your word that we would, by your spirit who inspired these in the original autographs, now that... He would illuminate our eyes and our hearts to an understanding. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, be enjoined in our hearts together as we understand these things. And I pray that you would help us to apply even the understanding of what the offices of the church are uh, as we consider our own local assembly here. And uh, Lord, we pray for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. The leaders of a church and specifically the elders, have an authority uh, that is not their own. But it is an authority that has been mediated by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Yet we will see how they who are called to be shepherds and caretakers of the flock are to exercise this responsibility. They are not to lord it over, but seeking to come alongside of others, they are to steer them in the right direction, spiritually. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we think about the church, uh, we think about a building, we think about uh, perhaps a gathering, but really it's the people who make up the church. And 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 the exercise of the office of elder, and as we'll see, the uh, office of deacon, uh, has so much to be helpful in regard to the life of the church. And, Uh, I would submit, along with uh, my agreement with the Reformers, that you cannot have a proper church without these offices. There is a protection of the flock that comes through those known as elders. And um, the Bible also describes, as I mentioned, those who are known as deacons, the servant role, as those who come alongside to assist the elders and we will look at their function this morning as well. And you may have heard me describe in brief that the elders are the servant leaders and the deacons are the lead servants. Uh, there is by uh, no stretch of the imagination an idea that uh, neither, either one of these offices cannot delegate responsibility. Uh, and somewhat we see that from the elders delegating responsibility to the deacons. And then uh, we also see deacons uh, uh, delegating responsibility to the flock in in care for one another. Alexander Strauch, in his uh, book on biblical eldership, states the following, quote, some of the worst havoc wrought to the Christian faith has been a direct result of unscriptural forms of church structure. Church organizational structure matters because structure determines how people think and act. Ultimately, structure determines how things are done in the local church. The point is the structure of the church both reflects and determines our theology and beliefs, and specifically in regard to this whole issue of leadership and how things are accomplished within the local assembly. So when it comes to the pillars of the church, we see then from what Strauch says, the idea of shepherds and servants or elders and deacons matter These offices, as all the roles in the church, matter, and what we find is that uh, structure matters, as as Strauch even said in his quote. And and Strauch doesn't base his statement on experience. In in fact, um, you can see where uh, the experience of the church who does not follow these uh, leads to that kind of havoc, but he does not base it on experience, but rather on Scripture, as we'll see in our study of this very important matter so uh, let's uh, look to our text this morning and see why uh, uh, there are three ways in which structure matters concerning the offices officers I'm sorry, offices of the church or officers of the church do. So here's the main point. God ordains the offices of the church in order to give order, protection and provision for the local church through service and shepherding. God ordains the offices of the church in order to give order, protection, and provision for the local church through service and shepherding. So we see three ways that this works itself out. Specifically, we begin in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. God's ordaining of offices matters in setting priorities. God's ordaining of offices matters in setting priorities. Looking again at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 for this portion. Um. And we see here some disruption in the local assembly. And so as we heard from Strauch, much havoc has been wrought in the church because of the wrong structure. And one of the biggest ways this has happened is in that of prioritizing responsibilities in an unbiblical manner. And what we see in verses 1 through 4 of Acts chapter 6 is uh, dealing with and settling with the whom of the priorities of the church Although the terms elders and deacons are not found particularly in this passage, uh, at least not in the English, there is a distinction that is drawn in regard to responsibility. And what we see here in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, is the beginning of the office of what we call deacon. And we're going to see that distinction. Uh, together this morning as we look at this passage. The controversy that is beginning to stir here is one of neglect. Look again at this uh, passage, Acts 6 and verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we kind of setting the scene here understand that the church, the church body is seeking to come together to give some sort of a distribution to the widows of the church, um, probably uh, some amounts of food or some amounts of uh, care financially or something along those lines. Because quite honestly, if you were a widow in the early days of the church and perhaps a, a widow yet had children, but you were the only convert in your family, you were left destitute. Um, there were no sons to care for you if they think that you are dead because you've trusted Christ. And so the church has now come together uh, for these widows, whatever their um, life circumstances may be in their uh, state of being widows, and they're caring for them. But a complaint uh, is is raised because uh, there were those who were being neglected And whether or not this was intentional or unintentional, the widows of the Hellenists were being overlooked in the daily serving of food and other uh, items of care. We understand the problem with this, and we see what the problem uh, is. Uh, We don't desire anyone to be overlooked, and neither do the apostles. The people who had a problem were um, raising this complaint, um, we understand this and uh, we don't desire that this would be something that would happen in our local assembly. And once again, the apostles know that there is a problem that needs to be dealt with. So how do the apostles deal with it? How do the apostles deal with it? Now, follow this uh, closely here as we look through uh, this th- these verses. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In other words, the need was increasing so much that the apostles were finding themselves not able to to deal with or to to practice what they were supposed to be practicing, which is the, the preaching of God's word. So they call the church together and they say to the church, this is not the way things should be. Therefore, we want for you to look for a certain type of uh, a man here. Pick out from among you, verse 3, seven men. What kind of men? Those of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, do you see what's happening here? You see the church coming together, the apostles making a call to the church to say, We need others to step in and fill this role of serving tables. It is not right that we should ignore the preaching of God's word in order to do this. Therefore, you, as a congregation, you need to pick out seven men who have a good reputation, they're full of the Spirit, and they have wisdom. And then we, as the apostles, will appoint them to what? To this duty, to this Exercise of an office to take care of this issue. So uh, the problem uh, was it was not proper for the apostles to neglect the preaching of God's word in order to serve tables. Uh, What is the solution? To select men to serve tables. Those who are of a certain kind, a certain reputation, a certain qualification. And It is appropriate for this to occur so that what else can occur in verse 4? So that the apostles can devote themselves, look at what it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now perhaps something that is raised in your mind here immediately is, I thought we were talking about elders and deacons. This is apostles and deacons. But we understand as the progress of Revelation happens that the apostles end up turning over the authority of the church to the elders. In fact, we don't have time to look at it this morning, but I'd encourage you to scratch this down and look at it later. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. And look at what Peter says in the first five verses there. Uh, Peter essentially um, describes himself as an apostle without actually using the terminology, I am an apostle, but he speaks of his... um, The reason or the qualification of him being an apostle. But then what does he say? He says to um, the elders in the church, I, a fellow elder, implore you, encourage you, admonish you. What is uh, Peter saying about himself there? He is an elder. And he is saying that just as he is an elder in the church, you other elders must pay attention to these things as well. Here is the distinguishing mark that begins in Acts chapter 6. One group is serving tables, one group is serving in the ministry and prayer, um, in the ministry of prayer and the word. This is, this is a distinction that is clearly drawn in later passages about deacons and elders. Elders, uh, one of the qualifications we'll see, we're going to go over these in just a minute, is that they are able to teach. Now this certainly doesn't mean <clears throat> excuse me, that a deacon cannot teach or preach. In fact, we see Uh, examples of that just after this passage in Acts chapter 6. We see uh, Stephen uh, preaching. Uh, We see uh, Philip uh, preaching. Uh, These men were servants of the church, not leaders of the church. Um, It's not that deacons cannot serve in the word, but the apostles here and then the elders later must serve in the word. And that's the point. And what we see here is something that formulates, as it were, God in his grace and mercy and providence, we see the office of deacon being established here. There really is no equal office in the Old Testament of deacon, but the um, idea of elder is found in the Old Testament, as we saw in our um, Old Testament reading this morning from, from Numbers. There, there are those who are called up with Moses in order to watch over the camp of Israel, Um, 70 of them. Um, That seems like a a large number. Remember, there's probably a million-plus Israelites, and so um, they would have certainly broken up those clans and had those elders oversee that. But we understand as well that the uh, preaching of the Word is passed on to the elders. This is not also to say that elders are not also servants. They certainly are. We see this in the act of their shepherding. There is a pastoral role that we're speaking of when we speak of elders. But um, their main action of that is in shepherding in their service. And I think that you know, dear ones of Fellowship Bible Church, have you been here any amount of time that uh, your elders and your deacons want to seek to serve you? And uh, that is our heart. And I think that you've seen that in action as well. So since we see this distinction, how do we go about identifying who these people are in our congregation? Since uh, this God-ordained structure matters in setting priorities, what do these people look like? We see a distinction in office and responsibility, but what about qualification? Qualification? Um, I've already mentioned they need to be performing these uh, the duties of this role. They need to be those who are already of good repute. They have a good reputation. They are those who are already servants, already shepherding. In, in our text, it says they need to be good of uh, men of good reputation as far as the servant role is concerned, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. But we know that there are other qualifications as well. We find those in First Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one. Again, just because we are short on time this morning, I would encourage you to go and see. I'm just going to mention these from 1 Timothy 3, and you can cross reference them with Titus chapter 1. But let me just mention to you these qualifications. Elders are to be above reproach. Now, that is um, an overarching quality or qualification of an elder. That means that not that they're perfect, uh, but that they're. Um, the trajectory of their lifestyle is one in which um, if an accusation were to be made against them, you would be shocked and surprised by that because the the status of their life is one that reflects godliness and holiness. Um, they are to be the husband of one wife um, there 's much uh, conversation around whether this means or not someone could have been divorced. There's conversations that we can have about that. If you would like to about that, we don't have a problem with that if um, understanding that there are differences in what has occurred in people's lives. So uh, understand that caveat, if you will, that it has to be, uh, we have to understand the reason for uh, the divorce. But what is their current status? Are they a one-woman kind of man? Um, And and again, there's lots of things to express there that um, uh, you would have to understand the context of the early church. Corinth, Ephesus, you can imagine the kind of things that pre-conversion Christian men were involved in. In those contexts, Uh, once they became believers, you you could look at their background and say, they once were these kind of men, and now um, they are in Christ and certainly are men who are uh, committed to one woman, temperate or sober minded um, they 're not ones who are quick to let their minds race to um, uh, conspiracy or, or, or these kinds of things uh, or, or to, of distrust they 're prudent they 're self controlled uh, they have self control in their in their mind and in their actions they 're respectable. Um, they're they're modest in the truest sense of the word is another way of understanding that they're they're humble, as it were. Um, they're hospitable. their Their home is open. Uh, their Their home is especially open to the church, but uh, even in this context, perhaps even strangers. They are able to teach. They are skilled in teaching. They are not a uh, drunkard. Uh, it is not that they. Do not consume alcohol whatsoever, but they are those who have self-control in the area of drinking. They are not known as a drunkard. They are not given too much wine. They are not violent. Literally, they are not a bully, which is the issue of lording it over. Rather, they are gentle. They are gracious and forbearing. They are not quarrelsome. They are not looking for a fight. They are not... A lover of money. Their desire is not to be rich. And they manage their household well. They guide their home with seriousness. They're not conceited. They don't look at the office of elder as something to be a stamp of of pride. And they have good reputations with outsiders those outside the church would look at them and say they are quality men. Next, briefly looking at the um, office of deacon. Um, There is a debate, by the way, over deacon and wives of deacons or deaconess. We can't really get into much of that this morning. Um, We can have a conversation about that, certainly. But um, there is this idea where it says... uh, likewise deacons. And in this sense, they are to reflect character as elders are to reflect characters. And then the um, likewise, there's a second likewise that deals with deaconesses or the or the, uh, the wives of, of deacons. But the deacons are also to possess certain character qualities that cannot be compromised, most of which are the same as the elder A few specifically pointed out in 1 Timothy passages that they are to be dignified, they're to be serious, to understand uh, this does not squelch personality traits, but they are to be those that are uh, of dignity, they're not to be double-tongued, to be gossips. Um, Interestingly, uh, the the office of of deacon, as one would serve the church, um, they are Perhaps serving in ways in which they are dealing with issues that are very um, very private in the matters of you know helping widows or, or the less fortunate in the church they 're not to go around talking about this they 're to keep those things close to the vest and it says they are to hold to the mystery of the faith in good conscience. there is no requirement for deacons to be able to teach, but they must hold or possess the revealed truth of the faith that which can be believed in good conscience they're not we're not saying they have to be systematic theologians or anything like that but but they must hold to the doctrine of the church in good conscience they must believe it they must understand it so we see just from these qualifications Um, that there are distinctions in the offices of elder and deacon, but that these distinctions offer an opportunity for there to be structure in prioritizing what is necessary for the church to function properly. Too many churches with a poor structure leave the wrong tasks to the wrong people or leave the wrong decisions to the wrong group of people, and and bedlam ensues. Just for a moment, let me just pause and say, uh, sort of in brief our understanding of that at Fellowship Bible Church, our understanding of that is that we are an elder-led, congregationally, or a deacon-served, and then congregationally um, informed congregation, form of government, and so that we want input from the congregation in these matters. For instance, last week I brought up to you that names were given to us, and we cross-checked those names with names that we saw of, of quality, qualified men for the office of deacon. Uh, we had our list as elders, and, and you had your list, the names that you submitted, and that was awesome. <laughs> that, that was great that we participated together in that. But as we notice in Acts chapter 6, there is a, a final affirming that comes from the elders, and we certainly want you as a congregation to affirm that as well. But but this is what uh, we see as the New Testament putting forth the structure that keeps Things from um, going awry. Now, it doesn't mean that there's never any issues, never any trouble, never any things that we have to come back and ask for forgiveness for as leaders. Um, but it does seem to be the structure of the New Testament church that keeps things in order fairly well. Prioritizing is necessary for proper function. And making sure that the right people, according to God's word, continue... Uh, to ensure these priorities and structures are in place. This goes for the whole body. We all need to work within our roles, within our spiritual giftedness, if you will, in order to see the body function properly, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4. So there is a proper ordering in order for there to be prioritization. Secondly, we see God's ordaining of offices matters in providing protection. So we see there's a a matter of prioritization. Who's doing what? Are the tables being served by deacons and and, uh, those to whom they have delegated that responsibility? Therefore, the elders are able to serve in prayer and the word. Secondly, we see God's ordaining of offices matters in providing protection. Uh, Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Looking uh, at verses uh, twenty-eight, particularly through thirty-one, but back up to verse seventeen, as Paul is speaking with these Ephesian elders, we need to notice that that's exactly who he's talking to. Verse seventeen: Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Um. Notice the plurality there. This is not a one-person eldership. These are, these are the elders of the church in Ephesus. Um, I try to emphasize to you that there is not just one pastor in this church. It's not just the teaching pastor. Um, there are other pastors as well who serve together in this role. So we see the plurality there of this. Um, so again, looking down now at verse 28, this is Paul's address to the Ephesian elders. Look at what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in and among you, not sparing the flock And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. What does he say to them? He says first, be on guard. A continuous state of readiness. They are to be ready. Be ready. He says, pay careful attention to Yourselves. Why does he say to yourselves? Well, these are the elders of the church. Why would he say pay careful attention to yourself as elders? Why would he say this? Well, first of all, because there are no spiritual giants. No one is perfect. We are all sinners and the elder must be on guard for his own life. He must pay careful attention to his own life. Listen to this qualification for the elder from Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word in accordance with the teaching or the doctrine so that he is able to exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Those who contradict will sooner or later come after the elder. This is one of the reasons he is to be above reproach. And besides, if he is unable to protect himself, how would he ever be able to protect the flock? He is to keep an eye on his own life to protect his own life, to have his brother elders protect his life. That's what the elders do uh, together, and therefore be able to protect the flock. In his classic look at Psalm 23 from a shepherd's perspective, Philip Keller asserts about the rod and the staff that it speaks of in Psalm 23, that the rod is what the shepherd relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. He goes on to say, there is an interesting sidelight on the word rod, which has crept into the colloquial language of the West. Here, the slang term rod has been applied to handguns, which is, such as pistols and revolvers, which were carried by cowboys and other Western rangemen. The connotation is exactly the same as that used in the psalm. He then shows that this rod and staff of Psalm 23 is none other than a metaphor for the word of God. He says it carries with it the convicting power and the irrefutable impact of this. Thus saith the Lord. It is not the elder's word that protects the flock and protects himself. It is God's word that does this. It it is the wielding of the rod of thus saith the Lord that protects both the elder and the flock. And indeed, it says they are to protect all the flock. The word flock is used in a metaphorical sense and became synonymous with Christ followers. And the elders are supposed to guard the flock. Well, why all this guarding? Look at verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Savage wolves, fierce animals will come in and not spare the flock. If you study the book of Jude, we see these type of men in biblical times, and we know of many today who desire to bring this sort of trouble to God's church. This is everywhere, and a lot of people are being deceived. I'm telling you, social media is so exposing of this, uh, the kinds of things that people will um, settle for, or the kinds of um, understanding of the scriptures that people uh, expose themselves as having in regard to, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, is just mind-blowing and mind-boggling. And it is clear that false teaching has infiltrated the evangelical church in America and has, in lack of better terms, blown it apart. If you study the book of Jude, we see this. This is why we emphasize the Word of God so much. You and I need discernment. This is why we want to strengthen the families of our fellowship. This is why we study the Bible so intimately. and Why we encourage you to do the same. We are protecting you, but we can only take it so far. You need to desire this as well. We're, uh, remember that idea of equipping. We are equipping you for the work of ministry amongst the saints. Ephesians chapter 4. We are equipping for the sake of your protection. But we cannot be with you every moment of every day. Desire the word of God, dear ones. Hear it preached and proclaimed to you. Absorb it and live it. The even more shocking thing that arises in this passage is that. It says, even from amongst the leadership, there can be deception. Even from amongst yourselves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Their intent is to drag people away from the faith. This is why we must be so careful about who we select as leaders as well and Then we see this very short part here at the beginning of verse thirty four or thirty one forgive me therefore, because of all of this, be alert, be alert and then Paul speaks of his own um, admonishment in their in their lives as he has come alongside of these elders in Ephesus and and sought to, 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 to protect them and train them in the way that they ought to protect and shepherd. And he says, through tears, for years I did this. And you know what's happening here, don't you? In Acts chapter 20, you know what's happening? Paul is getting ready to leave. And he rightly understands this may be the last time that he ever communicates with these elders. And what is his call to them? Be ready. Protect yourself. Protect the flock. Be alert. And you can imagine Paul on that beach getting ready to board that ship with the tears streaming down his eyes as he says goodbye to these men who he loves so dearly. And he calls them, he calls them to their responsibility. As elders, this is what you must do. There is danger if you do not. So, after all of this, what is this leading to ultimately? Why are these priorities, such as qualifications and proper ordering in the early church, why are these priorities and protections so important and so valuable? This brings us to our third and final point. God's ordaining of offices matters because of perspective. Look at verse 28 again. Maybe you heard this and it stuck out to you when you heard it read. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Pause there for a moment. Just a little hook for us to hang something on. Notice the... Uh, reality of who the elders are they are those who have been raised up by the holy spirit and then notice this to care for the church of god which he obtained with his own blood what is the perspective that the bible brings to this matter firstly in the midst of these people the seriousness of this is that the holy spirit has raised these men up There is a cruciality here. It is important for us to see that this is the work of God and not man. Certainly, we do have you, we call to you to recognize those men whom God is raising up. That's what we're asking you to do when we ask for, lack of better terms, nominations. But if you see those qualities in a man, and there is much agreement amongst the congregation and amongst the elders, if we see those qualities together, we take that as an indication that the Holy Spirit is raising these men up. This is not to be forced on someone. It's not to be forced on the person or by a group of people. God will work this out. Again, we want the input from you, but since we believe from the Scriptures that this is the Spirit of God who raises men up, we also know that it is us, the congregation who recognizes these men, and that, again, they, they, they tend to be those who are already functioning. We see them already functioning in these roles. So there's that one sense of cruciality, the sense of the Holy Spirit raising people up. And then there is the most important sense of cruciality, which is um, Christ and His blood. Um, let me pause for a minute before we get to that and just talk about the submission to that leadership because of the graveness of the Holy Spirit raising them up and because of the graveness of the call upon their life, uh, because they are shepherding the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Uh, We think about a passage like Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. This isn't uh, meant to... um, Guilt anyone in any way. But it is what God says through the author of Hebrews. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's so much we could say about that verse. Let me first say that this is not blind obedience. This is not saying you can never confront or rebuke an elder. But it is to say that God has, by His Holy Spirit, raised men up to serve the church, by leading the church. And in the most basic and general of sense, the continual practice is a submission and obedience. For what purpose? Not because they're lording it over. That would be a main problem, a major problem. Because they will give an account. They will give an account. There will come a day where the elders of Fellowship Bible Church, and I would say, here's another conversation for another time, particularly to those who have covenanted with this local assembly, that the elders of this church will have to stand and give an account for the way that they shepherded you. First Peter 5 sort of gives us an indication of this as well. That's a serious matter. It says, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The advantage is to the flock that the elders would be free to shepherd and to protect. The greatest perspective, though, of all is that those who are elders are to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The value of the church is determined by by the price that is paid. Just as Hosea paid the wages for the harlot wife, so Christ our Redeemer has paid the price and the value is found in the precious shed blood of the eternal Son of God, not in the object itself. Though the church is precious to him, that's why he died for her. I mean, you think about Hosea in Hosea chapter 3 about what he does there. He goes to the slave market to buy back with a year's wages an unfaithful wife. He says, you're going to come live with me again. What does Hosea do at the end of chapter 3 there? What does God through the Spirit tell us? So too will Israel return to her king one day. It's a picture. The picture is a redeemed people who are redeemed with the eternal value of the Son of God. What were we but enemies of God, vile and wretched in His sight, yet He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, as Ephesians 1 says, not because of anything we have done, but because of the good pleasure of His will and kindness. And the price of that was the shed blood of His Son. And this is the standard by which overseers are to shepherd the flock. This is the value that we are to reflect upon as we think about the pillars of the church, the idea of what makes a church a biblical church, the preaching of the word, the administration of the ordinances of baptism and of the Lord's Supper by qualified men as elders and the assistant to those men the deacons. God says that the priority, the protection, and the perspective all rest on this. The shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How important is it? It's eternally important. It is, a, it is of gospel importance that we seek to get this right. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are not sure you're actually a part of the church, the universal church, the church for whom Christ died, for whom he shed his blood. My call to you this morning is to hear this foundational principle. There would be no church without the perfect life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and types And the Lord Jesus Christ, the culmination of the remnant of Israel, those who truly trusted in coming Messiah out of the physical seed, the spiritual seed, being pulled together into a new body, as Ephesians 2 says, of Jew and Gentile, the new covenant people of God. If you want to know more about what it means to trust in Christ, I invite you to come and see me after our time this morning those who have trusted in Christ alone, it is our responsibility to be observing, to see who it is that the Holy Spirit might be raising up to these specific tasks of serving tables, as it were, and those who serve in the Word, but also to see this functioning as the priority, the protection, and certainly the most important aspect of this, the The the, the worth of Christ's blood as the marker of that in our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, um, just before we come to the table this morning, we ask that you would uh, be preparing our hearts for that, Lord, and um, yet um, as we have just heard from your word, uh, Lord, the um. the uh, importance of these roles and um, the way in which you structure the church, Lord, is in regard to priority and perspective and protection. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you. I pray that today might be the day that they would come to know you. I pray for those of us who do, that we would see the importance of this. And help us now, Lord, as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.